This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds and Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how inadequate data may be impacting your used vehicle department at reyrey.com slash used cars. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash used dash cars. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, December 5th, 2023. I'm Jake Neer with Automotive News in Detroit and for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, it looks like Cox Automotive's Mannheim Marketplace is exiting Canada. Jeep is dropping the Renegade subcompact in the U.S. and Canada. And U.S. auto sales appear to have risen by double digits last month, thanks to healthy demand. Plus, we'll hear from industry experts about the trends affecting dealership consolidation and the impacts on first-time buyers. There's a lot of areas in the country that maybe aren't as desirable to some of these larger groups, and this is a way for them to buy a store that is a little bit more reasonably priced because of the market that it's in, but still a lot of untapped potential that can generate a good return for them and their family. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Digital auction marketplaces provider OpenLane says it will acquire the Canadian business of Cox Automotive's Mannheim. It values the transaction at about $95 million. In a news release, OpenLane said the proposed deal will include Mannheim Canada's Montreal auction facility and auction sales, operations, and select staff across Mannheim Canada. It says the acquisition is subject to certain customary closing conditions. Cox says as part of the transaction, it will discontinue all Canadian wholesale auction operations at Mannheim's locations in Toronto, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Moncton, New Brunswick, Edmonton, Alberta, and Vancouver, British Columbia on or before the deal's closure. It says those locations are not part of the transaction. Under the agreement, OpenLane says it will keep Mannheim Canada's customers. Jeep is dropping the Renegade subcompact from its lineup in the U.S. and Canada after the 2023 model year. That's according to a brand spokesperson who spoke with us at Automotive News. The Renegade starts at about $29,000, including shipping. That sits just below the Compass as the brand's most affordable option. The Compass, which begins at just under thirty dollars will be Jeep's entry-level nameplate instead. The Renegade launched in the U.S. in 2015 and had its best year in 2016, when it logged more than 106,000 sales. That number has declined every year since then. It dropped to about 27,500 in 2022. Sales are down 35% more this year through September. Lucid is reworking trim levels for the 2024 model year of its Air Sedan, lowering its starting prices to better compete with luxury rivals. The EV startup is also adding flexibility to its options packages. The company says that will allow customers to purchase more features on lower trims rather than moving up the trim ladder on the large sedan. Lucid will have three core trims for the air based on powertrain and battery size. Those will be Pure, Touring, and Grand Touring. 
Options can be added in a more a la carte fashion than in 2023. That means lower base prices with fewer standard features, but with the option to add them during the order process. And U.S. light vehicle sales increased in November as the seasonally adjusted annualized rate of sales rose to 15.5 million, up from 14.4 million a year earlier. Analysts had projected a sales pace of 15.3 to 15.4 million. Volvo was the last brand to report for the month. Sales were up more than 26%, finishing at about 11,700. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, a conversation about the state of dealership consolidation in 2023. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Of inventory, increased auction fees, and a volatile market means stocking your lot can be challenging these days. To be successful, you have to move fast. You need to make decisions quickly at auction. You need to inspect trade ins and decide on an offer that will benefit you without slowing down the sales process. You need to appraise and price vehicles with the most up to date information possible in a market that can change quickly. But the data you rely on to make these decisions could be holding you back. How often do you find yourself manually filtering through comps because there are outliers that don't match the vehicle you're appraising? When unexpected mechanical issues come up, how much time do you have to spend looking back through comps to reprice the vehicle and determine if the reconditioning costs are worth it? How long do you spend searching through individual auction and third-party websites for the inventory you need? These problems affect the entire used vehicle process from acquisition to appraisal to merchandising. Visit reyrey.com slash used cars to explore how old and irrelevant vehicle information may be holding you back and discover how to make improvements for faster, more accurate, and more profitable decisions. That's reyrey.com slash used dash cars. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. In the world of dealership consolidation, industry experts say first-time dealers entering the auto retail market have been hindered by expense, while growth for larger groups has been slowed a bit by the deal approval process. Our own Jamie Butters talked about that and other trends with experts during the Automotive News Retail Forum in Chicago. Andrew Dorgan is Executive Director of Corporate Development at Castle Automotive Group, and Connor Duncan is Vice President of Dealerships with Live Oak Bank. 
Here's a piece of their conversation. Let's start with sort of a fundamental thing uh, for large deals, uh, interest rates. Andrew, have higher interest rates caused you to pause or uh, uh, hesitate at all in doing any deals lately? No. No? They just <laughs> impact the underlying earnings in the target, yes. uh, and, and including our own operations, obviously. So, um, you know, they're uh, a small hurdle, but uh, they wouldn't necessarily impact our, uh, you know, interest in doing another deal. Even though the cost is higher, it's more about the strategic vision and strategic plan mm -hmm. than just, uh, gosh, is it going to cost us a little in, in interest? Yeah, we're, we have been uh, for a couple of years now, we kind of took a, a different turn and uh, focused on high new car throughput stores, uh, better locations, and uh, we've enjoyed owning those stores in the last couple of years, so we would like to own more. Yeah, so uh, Andrew and I were talking earlier and even last week talking about interest rates. And obviously, interest rates have probably tripled in the last 36 months, which hasn't really helped the situation. Uh, but a good deal is probably still still a good deal, regardless of you know, the interest rates. Unfortunately, I think the Fed is probably done raising interest rates for the foreseeable future. So hopefully, that's less of a variable in terms of the analysis. One of the things that we experience on the lending side for smaller, you know, normally people that own less than five rooftops, the SBA loan program is a 10-year loan versus, you know, something significantly shorter that is the average from a conventional or captive lender. So the power of the term is pretty significant in terms of looking at a deal that maybe makes a little money historically, maybe it doesn't, but there's a lot of untapped potential that somebody has identified. And because the term of the loan is now double what is typical, sure, the interest has a component of that, but theoretically the cash flow makes a bit more sense because of the extended term on the acquisition debt. Okay. So SBA loans, are those typically limited to just single point deals? Not necessarily. I mean, there is an upper extent of how much money can be outstanding at any one time to an individual owner. Um, and that's why I kind of come from the perspective of typically five rooftops or less is sort of where we kind of fall into the, uh, the grand scheme of things. Obviously, it is the small business administration, so it could be too large. Uh, so obviously, if you're a you know, 17 or 18, 19 rooftop uh, operation, probably too large to qualify. But... There's tons of uh, opportunities for folks that own less than five that uh, we're able to help out. We were talking uh, before about <laughs> there's been a lot of consolidation. We have a whole team that covers uh, <laughs> transactions, buy, sells, and, and most of them are uh, groups getting bigger. Sure. But there's still a lot of small groups out there. Plenty. I mean, consolidation is uh, something that I think is certainly happening. We obviously see that they garner the most news attention when it's either a a ton of stores being uh, purchased or just the sheer dollar amount of the transaction. But at the end of the day, 93% of all rooftops are still owned by somebody who owns less than five and 97% of stores across the country are owned by somebody who owns less than 10. So yes, it's happening and we can continue to monitor that, but still not happening as fast as I think people you know, see. Yeah. What do you see in terms of the, the trends or the opportunities that are still out there? How do you guys look at them? Well, we ventured into buying groups in the last two years. We navigated from single point stores to buying uh, an autoplex in one location that was, I believe, six franchises and two buildings. And uh, then again, this year, we just closed uh, Pugge Automotive Group in Downers Grove. And that was, uh, it will be four buildings. It's uh, all in close proximity. But we realized in the Chicagoland, there's less and less two, three, four store groups than there was 10 years ago. So we might have to start looking further out to find opportunities like that. But, you know, as far as uh, a standard single point, been in business 30 or 40 years, there's still quite a, bit, a few of those, uh, you know, if you're cast your net far enough. Mm -hmm. 
The other thing I would just, sorry, Jamie, the yeah, other thing I would it. say about the consolidation thing too is like a lot of these larger, either regional groups or certainly the publics, they have pockets of geography that they want to be in, right? And so typically they're consolidating in and around those larger metro areas. Um, whereas, you know, somebody that is trying to get their foot in the door or owns less than five, like I keep saying, there's a lot of areas in the country that maybe aren't as desirable to some of these larger groups. And this is a way for them to buy a store that is uh, a little bit more reasonably priced because of the market that it's in, but still a lot of untapped potential that uh, can generate a good return for them and their family and hopefully allow them to scale from one to multiple after there, after that. I think you were just down at the NAMAD conference. We had a story out of there uh, by Vince Bond talking about how a lot of folks trying to get their first store, they, they can find an opportunity, but it might not be where they live. It might not even be in the state and they might you know, have to really pack up their family. Mm -hmm. Do you see that a lot with first time buyers? Yeah, almost all the time. I mean, it's rarely that the store you've been working in for a period of time is the one that you have a chance to purchase. Or a lot of the times we've got folks that are GMs for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years for a large group or somebody like Castle Automotive that, you know, has now made that decision to go out on their own. So certainly we look at tons of situations where, you know, somebody has looked at, you know, five or 10 different opportunities before they find the one that is best, best fit for them and their family. And oftentimes they have to be willing to relocate to make that dream happen. Do you have any advice for them when they need to make a move like that? Tough for me to say from a, you know, lifestyle and family standpoint, right? You certainly want to check with your significant other and your spouse and make sure that if you have kids, obviously that's a huge factor. But from a financing standpoint, we just want to make sure that it's the best opportunity from cash flow standpoint, from return on investment. Obviously, stores are very, very expensive. Acquisition costs are uh, high end and uh, blue sky multiples are still near record. But really just want them to make the most informed decision from you know, what purchase price have they negotiated relative to what amount of cash flow should that store generate to repay that loan? And, you know, ultimately the, the decision is theirs at that point. But yeah, relocation is, you know, a, a huge matter in that. Yeah. We talked to you about an example of something in like upstate New York in a smaller town. Like a lot of people don't want that if they're, especially if they're already super successful mm -hmm. or entrenched somewhere else. But if your goal is to own a store, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, it's not always going to be the, the best opportunity, right? But the goal is never to own one. It's to own multiple. But if that's a way to get your foot in the door, sometimes that's something that you have to take into consideration. Whether you have a lot of money to put into a deal or not a lot of money to put into the deal, you're, you're constrained by an upper limit of capital, right? And so sometimes having to move across the country or multiple states away just makes a lot of sense because of the return that you're going to get from that money. Stores are expensive, right? And we can get into more of the debt equity stuff like that, but uh, yeah, relocation is certainly a big factor in all that. Andrew, you speaking, sticking with geography, you know, you were saying you you guys start are still really focused here in Chicagoland, mm -hmm. but it's not an ex exclusivity thing. You're not you're, no. you're not really constrained to where you're just trying to build out for service department synergies or things like that. You know. We get a lot of leads from Chicago is um, probably more so than what we would, you know, try to pull off. We, we are definitely interested in moving to different markets. Mainly Texas is something that we've decided to really take a hard look at. But, uh, you know, people know the name, a lot of common friends, attorneys, uh, accountants, and uh, we find ourselves, you know, continuing to get a lot more uh, Chicago land uh, leads. And I'm sure that will continue for, you know, as long as we're in business. Yeah. What's attractive about Texas? A lot. <laughs> it's a, is it, is it a different cycle or is it just a, I mean, I'm, 
I feel like well, you guys have a lot of degree. I'll give, uh, There's yeah. a lot of D3 trucks sold in Texas. Mm -hmm. So that in that sense, it seems very similar. So I discovered something online, and I think it just hit the news recently, which is in, in the year 2100, and that's a while, the top three metro areas will not be New York, Chicago, and LA. I believe they will be Dallas, Houston, and Austin. Oh, wow. But all of them in, in Texas. And, uh, you know, it's in look making a long term view in business, it, it's kind of hard to not enjoy that ride if you're going to an area retail selling things locally that population growth is that strong better climates a lot of people moving around the country good tax rates more affordable you know it seems to have a lot going for it yeah i mean three of the top 10 cities in america already mm -hmm. uh people forget san antonio is as big right. as it is mm -hmm. so okay interesting demographic play i get it yeah and you know um chicagoland is a challenging uh market for some brands they're very it's frankly just over dealered with some brands and uh, what we've seen is uh, it didn't seem like the OEM added as many open points to that state. So the, the geography and the uh, throughput's a little bit more advantageous down there. Andrew Dorgan is executive director of corporate development at Castle Automotive Group and Connor Duncan is vice president of dealerships with Live Oak Bank. They spoke with our own Jamie Butters at the Automotive News Retail Forum in Chicago. We'll be hosting another retail forum event in February in Las Vegas ahead of the 2024 NADA show. You can register now at autonews.com under the Events and Awards tab. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News journalists David Phillips, CJ Moore, Vince Bond Jr., Lawrence Iliff, and Paige Hodder for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on retail, sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 